0: This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston. An all-suite hotel and conference center, minutes from Jaeger Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.
1: Welcome back to the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yoe. Bob Brunner is away this week. The Senate's PEIA bill is now in the hands of the House of Delegates. The proposed health insurance premium increases and coverage reductions to shore up the financially challenged program has many up in arms. The bill defenders say proposed pay raises and tax cuts will even things out. Union leaders representing many of the state's 230,000 participants in the Public Employees Insurance Program held a press conference just outside the House chamber after the House Finance Committee advanced the bill to the floor Thursday night. They say their charts and graphs show that Senate Bill 268 would benefit the richest and hurt the poorest by triggering a 26% premium increase, penalizing public employees that are married potentially lead to the exclusion of first responders from PEIA and create uncertainty for PEIA retirees. West Virginia AFL-CIO President Josh Sword led the union charge.
2: We're going to encourage policymakers to slow down, slow down, to listen to the most important stakeholders. That's the plan participants so we can make sure this bill provides real solvency for PEIA instead of reducing benefits and kicking people off the plan.
1: In countering the union's claim, House Finance Committee member John Paul Hott, a Republican from Grant County, says, state actuarial data shows a $2,300 raise coupled with personal income and vehicle tax cuts will even things out and help counter an expected $400 million PEIA shortfall coming in the next few years. If
2: we don't address the issue, uh, it will be insolvent probably within the next three to five years. So some of the pros would be is that accompanying that uh, bill is a uh, raise for the public employees with an attempt to offset the average uh, increase in premium and, and hopefully be some type of a, a net positive.
1: House Finance Committee member Larry Rowe, Democrat from Kanawha County, says the current PEIA proposal is unfair and everything is loaded to the high-income folks. Rowe explained an amendment he would propose to help fund PEIA. What we need to do is to refund the rainy day fund that we've had for a number of
2: years, uh, and I'll have an amendment to do that on the floor of $100 million, and that would uh, eliminate these huge increases.
1: Sword was asked where the shore up money should come from, if not PEIA members. He said premium increases were expected sooner or later, but not this large lump sum, and he talked of tapping the state's billion-dollar-plus surplus.
2: And I think the surplus surplus is a good place to start. We're swimming in money down here. There is no excuse, there is absolutely no excuse for this in this year. We can make it right, get all the stakeholders in the room have some honest dialogue, if we can get them to that point, we can come up with a, to a solution that we can all buy in on, I have no doubt.
1: The House moved the PEIA bill to third reading with the right to amend. Several amendments are expected. They will reconvene Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Innovation met education on Career Technical Education Day at the legislature. From offering baked goods to analyzing biometrics, West Virginia students put on a 2023 vocational show. You had to watch your step for all the robotic devices wheeling around the capitol rotunda floor. More than 300 students from state high schools, comprehensive high schools, and career technical education centers showcased both their practical and pioneering programs. Deanna Canterbury-Penn, Career Technical Education Coordinator for the West Virginia Department of Education, says the mission here is letting the lawmakers who decide on education funding see the career paths these students are on in pursuing the jobs of today and tomorrow.
0: So simulated workplaces are in every school for career technical education. So the students actually run companies in their Perspective programs of study. So we want them to see that we are really making these kids career and college ready to go out into the workforce.
1: So what's the difference between the shop and home economics classes of 25 years ago and what you see around here today? But the technological advances are obvious, but they say, hey, don't sell shop and home ec short.
0: We have everything from robotics to aerospace engineering. So it is a little bit different from shop and home ec when I was in school. But we still do those things with building construction, and we have a lot of baking and pastry and pro start. So they just really have enhanced the learning for the kids and really put them on the spot to do and be able to go out to workforce to do these things.
1: Enhancing the old and embracing the new, that's what much of today's secondary education is all about. The Senate completed legislative action on some 20 bills, including six supplementary appropriations. More than $80 million were set aside for various projects, including $5 million for the Economic Development Fund and $30 million for the capital improvement and operations for DHHR facilities. But the single largest appropriation of the day was in House Bill 3527, which appropriated $25 million for the Department of Education's Building Authority, as well as $15 million to a new equipment fund. Senator Randy Smith, a Republican from Tucker County, stood up to ask Senate Finance Chair Senator Eric Tarr, a Republican from Putnam County, about the equipment appropriation being earmarked for a fleet of electric buses. Do they have any idea how hard them are to push?
3: (laughs) When they run out, I mean, I'm talking from experience. Do they have any idea how hard it's going to be to push them off the road? Uh,
2: You're asking the wrong person. I've never pushed
3: one, so. Okay. And do they realize that they've some of the counties, or I know at least one of them in my district, sent theirs back because it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't pull the mountains. House Bill
1: 3527 was the only supplementary appropriation to pass without unanimous consent on a vote of 20 to 11, with three senators absent. A bill to reduce how much West Virginians pay for insulin passed the House today and was sent to the Senate for their consideration. Emily Rice has more.
4: The West Virginia legislature once again took up the issue of insulin costs with legislation passing the House to cap insulin copays for patients at $35 for a 30 day supply. Senate Bill 577 aims to reduce the copay cap on insulin and devices and permit the purchase of testing equipment without a prescription. It faced debate on the House floor from legislators arguing for a free market. Among over 20 delegates who rose to speak to the bill was Laura Kimball, a Republican from Harrison County, who questioned Delegate Amy Summers, a Republican from Taylor County, about including other life-saving medications in the bill.
5: So biosimilars, do you know anything about the biosimilar research? Well, this bill just talks about the insulin. It doesn't talk about biosimilars. Okay, and then finally, does this bill include any other drugs, like drugs for Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's? This bill addresses insulin because we have a very high diabetic population in West Virginia that is costing a lot, a lot of money to treat those people. So we want to be able to allow them to get the medicine they need at a reasonable price and keep their disease process under control.
4: The debate continued with Democratic colleagues Delegate Sean Fluharty from Ohio County and Rick Griffith from Wayne County, both rising to speak in passionate support of Senate Bill 577.
2: Imagine being from West Virginia and arguing that
6: Big Pharma needs more money. What are we doing? Every day across our state, people who need medications make very tough decisions. We often hear the comparison of, do I buy food? Or do I buy my medicine? Well, one of the things I think you need to realize is the insurance companies and the pharmacies across this country are doing very well. Very well indeed.
4: Before a vote was called, Summers stood to speak to the bill and said it's time that lawmakers consider what's best for the people of the state and help them as they need.
5: I've listened to all the debate here today, and I understand this is a policy decision. I used to be a purist as well, where no price controls. That's not the Republican thing to do. That's not the capitalist thing to do. I'm absolutely against it. But over the years, I've softened a bit as I've thought through how do these government policies, how do these companies, these drug companies, these insurance companies, How do they impact the citizens in my district, the citizens in West Virginia? Drug companies and insurance companies, I feel, may be taking advantage of our people.
4: Senate Bill 577 passed the House of Delegates with 85 yes votes, 12 no votes, and three not voting or absent. It now returns to the Senate to review its House amendments. Reporting for the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston.
1: The Senate Health and Human Resources Committee had a lengthy debate Thursday on House Bill 2007. The bill would restrict gender-affirming health care for transgender minors. As Curtis State reports, the committee approved the bill, but not entirely along party lines.
3: House Bill 2007. Council, please explain the bill in Lou having it read. Last month, two House committees and the full House of Delegates passed HB 2007 without hearing from expert witnesses. On Thursday, the Senate Health Committee brought in Casey Kidd, a physician at West Virginia University who treats transgender youth. In her exchange with Senator Tom Takubo, a Kanawha County Republican, and Senator Eric Tarr, a Putnam County Republican, Kidd said the treatments were medically necessary and evidence-based.
2: Do you you feel that these are are kids that are just suffering from uh, fads or or wanting to go back to school and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Can, can you can you differentiate the difference between those scenarios?
7: The treatments we provide are evidence-based and medically necessary to help reduce that gender dysphoria and allow them to go on with their lives and to live the, the happy, healthy lives I described.
2: What is the rate of suicide in the population of children that you treat compared to uh, their peers of the same age?
7: So killing themselves is nearly 300% higher than all West Virginia adolescents, but this care that we provide dramatically reduces that risk, and I've seen firsthand how powerful this care can be.
2: If if a child uh, is undergoing therapy, and by the way, if 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 a parent doesn't agree with the therapy, can the child undergo therapy?
7: <coughs> all care requires parental consent. Okay.
2: If a parent wants a child to undergo therapy, but the child does not want to undergo therapy, can, can the child be forced to take therapy?
7: No. The child must also ascend to all care.
2: Are there plans to do um, surgical interventions for gender dysphoria? I know you said you don't do it now, but it's, it seems to be it's a pretty new clinic. Um, are there plans to do that?
7: No, there are no plans to do that. Why not? It's not something that is common at all for young people, even nationwide, Uh, and it was not something that our team felt was part of the care we were going to provide.
3: Tar also asked Kidd if any of the hormone treatments or puberty blockers were irreversible. Kidd said in most cases, those treatments are fully reversible. With the bill's passage all but assured, Takubo, a physician, offered a few amendments. All were defeated. One of them would have set the minimum age for treatment at 16 instead of 18. Another would have allowed trans youth currently undergoing treatment to continue receiving it. Tar opposed them all.
2: If you get this amendment, are you voting for the bill? Uh, my honest to God answer, I don't know. I oppose the gentleman's amendment.
3: Senator Mike Maroni, a Marshall County Republican who chairs the committee and is a physician, supported Takubo's amendment is to stay quiet, but to take the step and prohibit those already being treated, to deny them continued treatment, some of which may be irreversible, as we heard testified, maybe most of it's not. But that's, that's not only uneducated, that's cruel, in my opinion, and uh, I'd speak in favor of the amendment. Tar then offered to amend to Kubo's amendment to give youth currently undergoing treatment more time to stop it. That drew a reaction from Senator Ryan Weld, a Brook County Republican.
6: We just don't like the, the treatment, so we're going to make you stop taking it right now. I, I mean, that's that's some big government type stuff right there, Mr. Chairman. So, I mean, I, I just don't feel comfortable as a as a legislator telling somebody who's currently receiving treatment for their mental health disorder that they have to stop taking the medication by a certain date.
3: Ultimately, HB 2007 was approved. The bill will be reported. It now goes to the Senate Judiciary Committee. For the legislature today, I'm Curtis Tate.
1: Our reporters can't cover everything, so Fridays we'd like to bring in a reporter from another news organization to discuss what they see and what's going on. Today, Chris Schultz and Emily Rice sit down with Brad McElhenney of Metro News.
8: Thank you, Randy. I'm joined now by Brad McElhenney and our own Emily Rice. Thank you both so much for being here.
4: Thank
8: you. Um, So it is. You know, we are down to the last couple days here. It's hard to believe. uh, And Brad, you were actually one of our first guests on one of these Friday. Actually, the first guest this session on uh, one of our Friday roundtables. And I just wanted to start by giving you an opportunity to take a look back now without so, work okay. back with that word. Back memory road. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, how is this session shaped up? Is it anything like
6: you expected? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, that, that first week, there was a big rush, particularly in the Senate. They, they introduced and dealt with 23 bills on their f- first day floor session, including some big ones uh, like splitting DHHR. And then it felt like things got a little bit bogged down after that, it was a little slower, and now of course that we, we've reached the end, it's uh, the pace has picked up, you can feel the deadlines, the days go longer, and there's a lot still on the agenda. I, I know we're gonna talk about them, but reconciling the budget, which is the big thing we gotta do, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the tax bill that has morphed a bit since the governor first talked about it, still in the air, Uh, pay raises for public employees and a bill that does a variety of things to the public employees insurance agency. So a
8: lot going on. Yeah we're certainly going to talk about all that but I'd be remiss if I didn't give Emily the same opportunity. I mean how's this session been for you?
4: Absolutely well it's been a whirlwind and as the health reporter I've had a lot to uh, keep up with but I think one of the more interesting things I've seen is uh, Public participation, getting interested in the bills and how they're actually going to affect them directly, and also the—I um, think there was a little bit of assumption that with the supermajority things were going to be, you know, smooth sailing to a certain extent—and we've hit a few road bumps in the past uh, couple of weeks with just interesting democratic process stuff for uh, us political nerds. So.
8: Yeah, and I mean, Brad, you mentioned you know that very first day, January eleventh, we saw the Senate pass, uh, for example, a, a PIA hospital reimbursement bill that's still being discussed. If I'm not mistaken, by the House, or did they pass that this week? There's, there's so many. I don't expect either of you to actually. <laughs> that actually did pass, there you go. but
6: it it wound its way into a broader. PEIA bill dealing with that entire section of code.
8: That took almost the entire session, even though it was out of the Senate on the first day. So I mean, let's get into this, because we're going to try and get through as much as we can uh, before our time runs out. Um, So speaking of pace, I mean, crossover day was this week. And so we had a a weekend session on Saturday. And we got, uh, as you uh, laid out for us just now, budget, PEIA, pay raises. I mean, take your pick. Which one of those jumped out at you on Saturday?
6: Well, yeah, the the Senate dealt with all of those this past Saturday, and now the House lines up this Saturday to to deal with many of the same issues because of the crossover day. And Senate Finance Chairman Tarr describes three of them as sort of a three-legged interconnected stool. With the PEIA bill, public employees can expect their premiums to come up, but there is meant to be a $2,300 across-the-board pay raise to absorb some of that, and then also the the tax cut bill is meant to give every West Virginian a tax break, leading with a 21.25% personal income tax break. But the question with that is, with those tax cuts, what can the state still afford to do for the services the West Virginians expect? So a lot of intertwined activity.
8: Right, and and the budget is kind of, as you were saying, balancing on this stool on top of these three contingencies. Um, So I mean, we've seen or we're actually about to see action on PEIA, as you mentioned, tomorrow. Uh, And and Emily, you mentioned public uh, interaction. We saw the unions come out and and voice their opinion just this morning. Uh, Can you give us any idea, Brad, on where any of this stands? Because it seems like you can't finish one
6: without finishing the other, cart before the horse. I mean, where are we at with these? Most of them are on their way to passage in the House of Delegates on Saturday. And there are some minor changes to some of them, so that'll need to be reconciled in the Senate. But PEIA um, seems to be headed toward passage. That was maybe under some political question in the House because those districts are so small. And in many of them, public employees, the school board, those are the main employers in a lot of these House districts. So uh, to my mind, there was some question about House acceptance of that PEIA bill, but it seems to be moving forward. Uh, The pay raise, which is $2,300 across the board, that's a specific bill that that deals with the pay raises for teachers and Mm -hmm. state police because their pay scales are in code. Other state employees are meant to be dealt with more generally by the budget, so that's a little bit of a leap of faith for the agencies. And there was such fighting early on about what shape the tax bill would be Mm but now there seems to be uh, general acceptance among the governor, Senate leadership, and, and the House of Delegates. It, it is, again, different from what the governor proposed. He had said he wanted to do a 50% personal income tax cut over three years, and that was it. This is a little broader. This includes an income tax cut, but also a credit on your personal property tax on your vehicles, good news for us, <laughs> as well as small businesses sort of narrowly defined getting a property tax cut on their business equipment and inventory and and that definition is important because it's meant to be the businesses that truly are rooted in West Virginia. So uh, a a little broader tax cut than what had originally been described but it's beginning to sound politically feasible.
8: Yeah what really stood out to me was that that tax cut looks Almost identical to what the Senate proposed a couple weeks ago, and it really seems like the only concession that they made was bringing up the initial cut, Um, and and a lot of it is you know more or less what they wanted, (laughs) and the House uh, you know had to make quite a big concession from 30% down to 21%, but I mean. I don't want to get too myopic on finances. It's obviously a, a huge uh, a topic, and, and I appreciate Brad. You know, you really did a great job there wrapping it up for us. But just last night, we saw Houseville 2007 um, kind of come back up, and that's one that, as as Emily said, a lot of people have been keeping their eye on. Uh, Just briefly, Emily, what can you tell us about House Bill 2007?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So how uh, the way that you were describing that bill is kind of how 2007 is shaped out. There's amendments that have not been attached, and it's going back to the House. That happened in Senate uh, Finance yesterday, uh, I'm sorry, Senate Health Committee. Uh, They brought in a doctor from WVU, that's Dr. Casey Kidd. Uh, This was one of the first times, if not the first, that they had heard from experts on the topic. uh, and The topic being uh, gender-affirming care for those under 18 in the state of West Virginia. And ultimately uh, rejected all the amendments and we had quite the back and forth within that committee meeting with Senator Tom Takubo, a chair of that committee, and Senator Eric Tarr. you know we can get into personal views on something like this but ultimately when it came down to it it was approved as it stood and goes to the senate judiciary
8: yeah i mean an incredibly complex issue and again appreciate our our, um, panel doing a really good job of of wrapping that up here for us Um, brad you had mentioned before we started rolling here uh, locality pay was another issue that jumped out at
6: you this week what can you tell us about that well one thing we talked about before we got rolling was these interesting political breakdowns where you would think that the supermajorities in the House or the Senate would be generally on board with the same things. As Emily mentioned, yeah. And with the, with the gender identi- identity issue, the Republican majority leader and the Senate finance uh, leader were at odds, as were some of the other Republican members of that committee. Um, on this one with locality pay, it was a bit of a different dynamic this would have set up a commission to study the need for higher pay in areas of West Virginia where costs are higher. So think Eastern Mm Panhandle, where the competition is with across the border in Virginia and Maryland. And geographically is the way that debate broke down on the House floor with Eastern Panhandle representatives joined by both Democrats and Republicans from some of West Virginia's bigger communities against many of the Republican lawmakers from more rural communities, the southern coalfields. And that is the first bill that I've seen make it this session all the way to the point of passage and it got narrowly voted down. So, drama, but not based on party lines, based on the geography of the state. Yeah, and and, and we were also discussing the fact that it's kind of a repeat,
8: obviously not one for one, but it's very similar to the regional divide that we saw in the form energy debate. Not only the House, but also the Senate, both kind of arguing um, against a concession for a company coming into the state. Um, So, I mean, just last minute here, uh, any other thoughts, any other things that you're looking at uh, in this final
6: week? Brad? Oh, my gosh. Well, one of the things that passed the first day, to circle around, in the Senate was what they call the Anti-Racism Act. Mm-hmm. That was the culture wars issue of last year's session, passed the first day in the Senate, and it hasn't been heard from since. That's somewhere in the House, and we'll see if we take it up this week to bookend the session.
8: Emily, a couple seconds left. What's jumping out at you next week?
4: Uh, HB 2007. I'm wondering if there's going to be action tomorrow within the House. I wonder if they'll take that opportunity. I'm looking at PEIA and uh, continuing health bills within the DHHR reorganization.
8: Okay. Well, just a week left, folks. This is all the time we have today. We'll be back next week and we'll be with you all night on the final night of the session. Randy, back to you.
1: Thanks so much for that, Chris. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily on our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site, at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Randy Yowie. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.
0: Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley.
1: Information at wvu.edu.
0: Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center, minutes from Jaeger Airport and Capital Markets. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.